have a, a lot to touch on today. And I want to make sure we are out on time to so that we can still uh, uh, serve communion. So turn with me back to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. And as I said, I'm not really going to deal with the passage itself today. We're going to look at this, this section for, for two Sundays. Uh, this Sunday, what I want to do is, is primarily give you the um, passages of Scripture uh, that explains these, the two concepts that I, I think that we must have a foundation on um, in order to understand correctly what James is saying here. And then next Sunday, we'll come back and look at the passage itself. Right. Is everyone there in James chapter 2? I'm going to start reading at verse 14 down to the end. It reads, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Let us pray. Father, we thank you today for allowing us another opportunity to come uh, into your household and into your presence, uh, to fellowship with one another, to worship you, but to also to hear your word. I pray, Lord, that you would um, open our hearts and minds, give us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding as we hear your word. Uh, but I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand exactly uh, what James is saying, but also um, what you are teaching us about salvation uh, throughout all of the texts of scripture that we will read today. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, give us understanding in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> now, we're, we're working our way through the book of James. And um, as we are working our way through James, we have to keep in mind his central theme. And his central theme so far is trials, right? That um, your faith needs to be tested. And all of us, as we've seen over these past uh, months that we've been looking at James, all of us uh, will face different trials, 
we won't all go through the same uh, situational circumstance to test our faith because each one of us needs something completely different in order to mature us into the image of Christ. James here is particularly trying to get us to understand throughout the book of James that faith is supposed to be practical. It's something that is supposed to work in every area of our lives. And so as he gets to the end of each discussion, right, the, the, the final thoughts that he has on that section usually is what leads him into the next discussion. Okay? Um, we saw that uh, at the end of chapter 1, he began to talk about what genuine religion or genuine faith is, right? And then he goes on to make applications of that when we talk about favoritism towards the rich and the poor. Okay, and we see that in chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. We s looked at that passage of scripture yesterday, I mean, last Sunday, okay? And he ends this passage, the beginning of chapter 2, talking about how we need to exercise mercy or compassion on other people, right? Um, and, and when we do that, right, it sets us up to receive mercy and compassion when we are judged by God. And I think that that central idea is what he is picking up and carrying into the rest of chapter 2. Mercy and compassion is a demonstration of what takes place in your heart, what's taking place in your heart. Okay. Now, I think that this is important, something that we need to um, reflect on, something that we need to um, really think about in our own day and age, in our own culture, because there are many people who would fall into this category that James starts off with um, describing in verse 14 when he says that there is someone who says, right, they make the claim that they have faith, but they don't have works, right? So they say that they are Christian. They say that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but their life does not reflect it. And when all of us know someone who... <laughs> <laughs> may fall into this category, right? And um, and when you talk to them about it, um, you know, it, you can have an intense fellowship, okay? Okay, very intense fellowship. Um, because today people believe that if they just think the right things about God, if they believe the right things about God, if they say that they have a relationship with God, then... Number one, they automatically do. And number two, you have no right to question their lives. But that's not what James says here, and that's not what the Bible teaches. As I ended last week, I said that we needed to touch on two things. The Bible says two things that seems to be contradictory and yet they are not contradictory. They, they may be a paradox, <laughs> but they are not a contradiction. The Bible says that justification, right, our salvation, is by faith alone. You cannot work or do good deeds in order to be saved. 
And the Bible also says you better have works, good works, <laughs> when you stand before God in order to be justified or saved. Okay. Now, I said that I wanted us to look at these passages, or some passages of scriptures, so that we can see that the Bible says both. And yet, the Bible is not contradicting itself when it says these things. First, let me give you the definition of justified. Right? As I said, I'm not going to work my way through a passage of scripture. This is just going to be um, a survey. Okay, we're going to look at passages of scripture. I'm going to give you a little explanation of these passages, and then I will be done. Um, what does it mean to be justified? Right? We can ask, ask it differently. What does it mean to be saved? Um, the word justified and salvation are not necessarily synonyms, but they're often used as synonyms, okay? Um, but justification is really just one part of salvation. Definition, number one, to be justified means to be declared righteous. It means to be declared righteous. There's a secondary definition for justified, and that is to be vindicated or proven to be in the right. So first it means to be declared righteous, and second it means to be vindicated or to be proven to be in the right. So when we talk about justification, right, or salvation, at, at a minimum, it means that God declares us to be innocent of our sins, even though we are still guilty. Okay? God declares that we are innocent of our sins, but it is more than that. Not only are we, are we not guilty of our sins, but he is now seeing us as perfectly righteous. So you're not a sinner, right? You're innocent, but you need to be more than just innocent. You need to be righteous. And so what the Bible says is because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, right? God takes our sin, put it on Jesus on the cross, and then he takes Jesus's righteousness and gives it to us. That is justification. God taking our sin and giving us Jesus's righteousness so that even though we are still sinners, in God's sight, he only sees us as righteous. Everyone have that? Is that clear? Okay. The question is, how can we be justified? Okay. So we, 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 most people, most people who are in, um, um, have a, a, a basic understanding of Christian theology will accept the fact that justification is God declaring us righteous, him giving us Christ's righteousness, right? The question is, how is that done? Is it by faith alone? Okay, so can you only be saved? Can you only be justified by putting your trust in Jesus? Or do you have to do good works in order to be justified? Okay. 
So, for example, you have tons of people who believe that um, there's no way for them to know if they are absolutely saved until the day of judgment. And on the day of judgment, they are just hoping to have enough good deeds, right? So, we, God, we're going to put my good works on the scale. All right, now, if the, if the scales tip in, in favor of my good works, I get in. And if, my fa- if the scales tip in favor of my, my bad deeds, then I don't get in. Okay. So what I want us to do is look at what the Bible teaches on this subject, right? Um, first, let us take a survey of, of the landscape, and we will first look at what the Bible says about uh, what we call in Latin, right, sola fide, right, justification by faith alone. I want you to start by turning to John. We could probably all quote this passage of Scripture, John chapter 3. And what I want you to see in all of this is that the Bible teaches that salvation is alone by trusting Jesus. You can do no good deeds, no good work, no amount of good work, to get into heaven. It's only by faith. John chapter 3, verse 16. All right, you're going to be mad at me by the end of this. I'm having to flip through all of these Bible verses, right? But it's important that we see what the Bible says on these two topics. Is that one there, John 3? All right, I should probably make you quote it instead of read it, but we can read it. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes, whoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. All right. Oh, yeah, we did. Shall not perish. (laughs) Have everlasting life. (laughs) There you go. All right. So it's by faith. The person who believes in Jesus shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 3. So this passage teaches that salvation is by faith in Christ. Romans chapter 3. These passages of scripture are probably familiar to all of us, especially um, when you've memorized the Roman roads. Romans chapter 3. I want us to read, starting at verse 21, down to chapter 4, verse 5. And I'm going to stop at certain points to point some things out to us um, from Paul's logic. Listen to what Paul says after he finishes in chapter, we all know the chapters 1 through chapter 3, verse 20. Paul is saying that every single human being is condemned as unrighteous sinners before God. There is no one righteous, no, not one, Paul says. What he says in verse 20, listen to what he says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, No flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law, 
is the knowledge of sin. Now, Paul's whole point in several places where he talks about the, the Old Testament law, he says that the law brings about our knowledge of sin. So when God says, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, right? He's teaching you what God wants us to do. However, as we, if we were to look in Romans chapter 7, he says that because of the weakness of our flesh, we are not able to perfectly do what God requires. As a matter of fact, when God says, don't do this, our flesh desires to do that even more. So that through the, through the law comes the knowledge of sin, but by trying to keep the law perfectly, we cannot be saved. Because if God would have put us to the test, even if he just looks at the Ten Commandments, we need a 10 out of 10. Okay. Right. Every single day of your life, you need a 10 out of 10. And if you're like me, most days you only batting 30%. Right, because I'm going to be angry at somebody. Right, so it's some, it's not going to go well. Okay, so so if you are basing your salvation on your good deeds, Paul says you will not be justified. You will not be declared righteous before God. He goes on to say, but now the righteousness of God, how apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God, how? Through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified, how? Freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previous committed, previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, all he's saying is, is that if you try to do works to be saved, you will not be saved. The reason that you will not be saved is because all of us have sinned, and we continue to fall short of God's glory, his standard, okay? So you can't work in order to be saved because you will continue to fall short of God's standard. Verse 24, but you can be justified, you can be declared not guilty freely by his grace, right? Through the redemption, just meaning forgiveness, right? You, you can't work to be saved, but you can be forgiven, and that comes freely by his grace. It comes freely by his grace, verse 25, because Jesus himself satisfied God's wrath. When he died on the cross, right, he satisfied God's wrath towards our sin. And so when you trust in Jesus, God takes your sin. He counts Jesus's death as your death, and he counts Jesus's righteousness as your righteousness so that even though you are still a sinner you have been forgiven you see that is that, is that clear now he goes on here to say verse 27 where is boasting then 
well, wait a minute. I, I can't brag about that. Right? I can't brag that God just forgave me of my sins. I, I need to do something, right? I, you know, I, I, I gave money to the building fund. Doesn't that get me a little extra credit? You know, <laughs> not in God's book. <laughs> okay, no, there is no boasting. It's Paul's point. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So we're not saying that the law is bad, is Paul's point, right? The law is great. There's nothing wrong with the law. You shouldn't steal. You shouldn't kill. You shouldn't take your neighbor's wife. That's really good, okay? Those are really good ideas, okay? The, The only problem is you can't keep those things. So faith does not say the law is bad. It says the law is great, but I'm bad. And so I need another way. And that other way is by faith. Let me finish the passage up. He uses Abraham as an example. He uses Abraham as an example of someone who is justified just by faith. Verse chapter 4 verse 1, what then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, and this is, this is why we have this conflict with James, okay? Cuz James comes back at the end of chapter 2 and says, "Well, Abraham was justified by works." Okay? But Paul says he was not justified by works. And we'll have to reconcile that next week. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Now, I'm not going to take the time. Um, we may look at, go back to Genesis chapter 15 next week um, when, we, when we come back to, this, um, to James chapter 2 and how James addresses Abraham. But remember, Abraham was given a promise by God. God tells him to leave his country and go to a land that he will promise him. Right. And he says that he will give him descendants. Okay, And so Abraham, he trusts God. He believes God. And, and he goes to this land. Uh, but his wife is, is barren. He's childless. And over the course of time in his relationship with God. Right. Um, he's probably wondering, well, when am I going to have a child? I'm, I'm almost 100 years old. I mean, you know, I'm not in the you know, in the prime of my life anymore, (laughs) right? Um, And God comes to him in Genesis chapter 15. God says, go outside, Abraham, look up at the stars. And if you can count the stars, then you will be able to count your own descendants. 
And the verse simply says, verse 6, And Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Okay. Now we can look at several other passages of Scripture um, to see what was going on in Abraham's mind. Abraham was thinking, my body is dead, right? Or, you know, I, my, the fish aren't swimming anymore. Okay? My, my body is dead, right? My wife is 90 years old, right? The eggs are fried, right? There, there's no way humanly possible for this to happen, and yet it said, the Bible says that Abraham trusted God. He believed that God was able to do it even though his body was dead, you know, metaphorically speaking. And because he trusted that God could do what he could do, said he could do, he believed God, and it was attributed to him as righteousness. Now, Abraham didn't do any works. Abraham simply believed a promise that God had made him, and his belief was attributed to him as him being righteous before God. Does everyone see that? He didn't do any works. He, he, he didn't have to go out and get his wife pregnant in order to bring it to pass. Okay? He just trusted that God could do it, and God justified him. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. I want us to continue to see that the Bible repeatedly says that justification or salvation is by faith alone in Christ and what Christ has done, not based on our works. Romans chapter 9. Is that one there? Verse 30. What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, okay, they, Gentiles, right, pagan people, they did not try to do right things, right? They didn't pursue righteousness. What shall we say that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but, as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at this stumbling stone. Now, what he's saying here is that Jews, they wanted eternal life. They wanted to be saved. But how did they go about, especially like the Pharisees, the religious leaders, how did they go about trying to receive this justification from God. They did it by trying to work hard enough to be good enough for God to accept them. Okay. You remember the story of a, a parable of the Pharisee? He goes into the temple, and, and, and he sees a tax collector. And so he doesn't want to be even associated with a tax collector, so he stands a little far off. And so he prays, God, I thank you that I'm not like him. <laughs> right. I thank you that I'm not like him. He felt that his good works made him better than this tax collector who was a sinner. 
We see routinely throughout the Gospels where the Pharisees believed that they were righteous because of their actions, because they, t- they tithed, because they led moral lives. And so they felt that they could work and be good enough for God to let them into heaven. And what Paul is saying here is that those people who were working, they stumbled over Christ because Christ did not accept their works. They could only receive him by faith. And Gentiles who were not morally righteous, they accepted Christ because they recognized, I'm bad, I I can't do this, God, you know, so I'm going to accept you by faith. Romans chapter 11, one verse. Your finger's tired yet? (laughs) Romans chapter 11, just looking at one verse. Verse 6. This passage is talking about election, God choosing us for salvation. It says, and if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer of grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Okay. So his point just simply is that salva- um, God's election is based on grace. It is not based on your good works. Because if it was based on your good works, that's not grace, right? That means God owes it to you, and God owes no one anything. I'm almost done here. Turn to the book of Galatians. We're in Romans. Go to the right. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians. I know we're going through these passages of scripture quickly, Galatians chapter 2, but I want you to see that the Bible repeatedly, and we can have used so many other passages of scripture um, to show this, that salvation in Christ is only by faith. Your good deeds are excluded. There's no amount of good deeds that you have ever done that would be good enough to get you into heaven. Is that one in Galatians 2? Listen to what Paul says starting at verse 11. Galatians 2, verse 11. He, Paul is describing a situation where he had to confront Peter. Right? Um, of course, we all remember that, that the Jews were the first ones to be saved, and so they believed that Gentiles could not be saved. Um, but through the course of reading, of course, we know from reading the book of Acts that um, through the process of time, God began to save Gentiles. Um, but the Jews believed that in order for Gentiles to be saved, they had to convert to Judaism and keep the Old Testament law. Be circumcised, you know, don't eat certain things, right? We, you know, we, we couldn't be saved here in Baltimore because we, we eat crabs, you know. You can't, you can't be saved and eat crabs, you know, <laughs> right? So they had to follow the Old Testament law, okay? Um, and, and so uh, this became a very contentious thing in the church, but, but even Peter was dragged away in this. When he first went to Antioch, he was hanging out with the Gentiles. He was eating ham sandwiches. I mean, he was, he was living the life. He was enjoying it all, right? 
But then some Jews came from Jerusalem. And, and, and Peter, he didn't want to look like a, a, a bad Jew. So he stopped eating with and hanging out with the Gentiles and only sat with and ate with the Jews. Okay. And so Paul saw this and Paul being the normal contentious person. See, I, I love Paul, you know. You know, P- Paul just loved to confront people. But I was like, Paul is my main man, right? <laughs> Listen, he says, verse 11, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. Right now, we, we're not going to get on Facebook and tell him. I'm going to wait till he gets here. You're like, I need to talk to you face to face. He says, I confronted him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. Talking about Jews. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Okay. He goes on to say, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but how? By faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. Now, I want you to skip down to the end of chapter 3. The end of chapter three. Right. So Paul continues this discussion. He talks again about Abraham and how Abraham was justified um, uh, because of his faith. It was accounted to him as righteousness. He goes on. To answer a question. If we are justified and saved by faith only. What is the purpose of the law? Why did God get why does God give us these rules that we have to live by if all we need is faith in Christ? Listen to what Paul says in verse 19, chapter three, verse 19. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed and that in your Bible is a capital S, correct? All right. Talking about Christ till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. Now notice what he's saying. He's saying that the law of God is not bad, but the law can't produce eternal life. Your good works, try to comply with the law, cannot produce eternal life. The law cannot give you life 
it can only sentence you to death. But the scripture has confined all under sin, verse 22, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. was our tutor <laughs> to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith but after faith has come we are no longer under a tutor so basically Paul is trying to tell us that the law is just like coach class, <laughs> right? Uh, we, we're here to, you, the law is like a teacher. You go to the teacher and he tra the teacher trains you on how to live, how to act, how to do right things, right? You can't be saved by doing those right things, but God is teaching you what pleases him. But in learning what pleases God, you recognize your need for something else. Because when God says, don't steal, we recognize that we want things that we did not pay for. When, when, when God says, don't commit adultery, we recognize the lust that's in each of our hearts. When God says, don't covet, we recognize the jealousy that oftentimes consumes us because we want what someone else has. The law was created not so that we can become self-righteous and think that I can do enough good deeds to make God happy and therefore look down on people who don't have the same good deeds. The law was created to teach me I need Christ because I'm not good enough to get myself into heaven. You see that? The law was created to teach us that salvation can only come by trusting whatever method God selects. Now, there are so many people who don't understand this point. And people don't understand this point uh, for a variety of reasons. And there are some people, many Christians, maybe even in this room, that uh, we're running ourselves ragged, right? Because we just believe that I just, you know, God is not going to love me if I don't just keep doing more and more good stuff. And Paul is trying to teach us that God's love is not predicated 
on how many good deeds you do. God's love is predicated on how you respond to his son. If you love his son, God is going to love you. No matter how many good deeds you do, God is not going to, He's not going to give you the pat on the back. Wow, you you got a 90% on keeping my law. He's going to say, wow, you had a 90% on keeping my law. Now go to hell. You needed 100. Last passage of Scripture. All of us should know this passage. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We should all have this one memorized. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Okay. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that none of you all can boast. <laughs> okay. Right? For by grace you have been saved through faith, And that not of yourselves, you had nothing to do with this, right? It's the gift of God, something that you cannot work for. It can be given by faith, right? Not of works, not through your own effort, so that you cannot boast. Now, this um, is my last verse on justification by faith. What I hope you have seen in this, we've covered this topic, you know, extensively, I guess, throughout the years. But what I want us to see is the Bible teaches that there is no amount of good works that will get you into heaven. You can help the little old lady across the street. You know, you can you can give all your money to all of the homeless in the world. You, you can do all of those good deeds. But when you stand before Christ, before God. None of those good things will be enough to get you in. You will only get into heaven if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible also says that when you stand before Jesus, you better have some good works. (laughs) Right? Sometimes people don't understand how these two things, these two ideas fit together, okay? And I think that the best summary sentence on this comes from John Calvin, lived about 500 years ago. And he says that faith alone justifies, okay? Faith alone justifies, but the faith that justifies is never alone, Faith alone justifies, but the faith that justifies is never alone. Okay. What does he mean by that? What he meant is that you can only be saved by faith, but your faith should produce good works in your life. You aren't saved by those good works, but if you don't have those good works, that may be evidence that you really have never been justified. 
I want us to read the next verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. I mean, I'm sorry, in Ephesians chapter 2, which is verse 10. Now listen to verse 8 through 10 all together, okay? Listen to what, what, what Paul says, and these verses, there's nothing separating these verses. So, they, so, so if, if Paul was contradicting himself, he must have been very slow because he didn't even recognize <laughs> that he was contradicting himself in these three verses. Listen to what he says. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, listen to what he says. He says that if you want to be saved, you have to be saved by faith. You cannot have, good, have any works for salvation. However, the reason that God is saving you is for good works. <laughs> you can't have any good works in order to be saved. But the reason God is saving you is for good works. And you should walk in them. Okay. Now, turn back to Matthew. I said we were going to look at a lot of passages of Scripture. Back to Matthew. Chapter 7. And what we will see now is the flip side of the same coin. That justification is by faith alone. However, when you are genuinely saved, it will produce good works. And if your salvation does not produce good works, it's probably because you really aren't saved. Matthew chapter 7, this is something that is very difficult for people to accept, just this concept that how you live your life is the evidence of whether or not you have been truly saved or justified. I've had uh, this conversation with, with a number of people, um, even some of my friends who no longer um, attend the upper room, right? And and, and it is because people genuinely believe that if I just say a prayer, I'm automatically going to heaven. And I, I, it doesn't matter how I live my life the rest of my life, because I simply prayed a prayer, I'm automatically going. And so we live in sin and don't see the contradiction of the two. But listen to what the Bible says. Right? Is this in red? All right, so that means it's Jesus speaking. Psych, there was no red ink uh, <laughs> back then. So it is Jesus speaking, but the red literally means nothing. All right, listen to what, what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. Start at verse 15. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are 
ravenous wolves. You will know them by them saying that they are Christians. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Now, this is interesting, right? Paul, I mean, Jesus here is talking about false prophets, people who have taken the role of religious leaders and they're teaching other people, okay? And so, and so the assumption that, that oftentimes we make is that if they are standing here, we're going to just buy a new one, buy, buy, buy a brand new one. I don't know. I'm going to try it everything. I took it out of my pocket. There we go. Um, we assume that simply because someone is standing behind a podium on a pulpit, that they are automatically sent by God and a Christian. Jesus says that there are some people who outwardly are wearing sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves you know we've heard that all have heard the phrase right this person is a wolf in sheep's clothing i have someone i was talking to (laughs) that was talking about um a former pastor of theirs and said he's not a wolf in sheep's clothing he's a wolf in wolf's clothing (laughs) i said oh and that's that's bad (laughs) that is that's now that's bad that that is bad okay But notice, our criteria is different from Jesus' criteria. We think that if a person is preaching and they're having fruit, they're packing out service, they're going to second service, they're filling up stadiums, they're on TV, they're writing best-selling books, they're flying around on jets. Because, I mean, like, if you have a jet, that's just proof. Like, Jesus is your best friend, right? (laughs) He says that they can be doing all of that, and they may not be saved. Jesus says the way that we know whether someone is a false prophet or a true prophet, look at their life. What is their lifestyle? They, They may be preaching great on scripture. But if they got five children in the church by somebody other than their wife, they, they, something's wrong. <laughs> something's wrong. 
Yeah. Right. You you the third first lady. So no. <laughs> okay. Some some things something is not right. Jesus's criteria is different. He says that a good tree does not bear bad fruit. And a bad tree does not produce good fruit. Now, I don't think that Jesus is saying that you will never sin, that you won't be perfect. But the, but the trajectory of your life should be headed in the right direction. Jesus goes on to say something that I believe all of us should, should really sit back and reflect on. Right? I think that many Christians should sit back and reflect on this, including myself, everyone. Verse 21 After he says that you will know them by their fruit, Jesus says something that is one of the most frightening things in all of Scripture. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. So everyone who says that they are Christian is not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, notice he does not say in this passage, the only people who are going to enter the kingdom of heaven are those who trust me by faith. That's not what he says. He says not everyone will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. The only people who will get in heaven are the ones who are going to have good works. (laughs) You got to do my Father's will if you want to get into heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? I'm doing the crusades. I mean, I'm, I'm blowing on people. They just falling out. Jesus. I mean, I got to have a spirit on that, right, Jesus? <laughs> Notice Jesus does not say that they did not prophesy. He doesn't say that they did not cast out demons. He didn't say he... He did not say that they were lying at all. He simply says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This is one of the scariest things in all of Scripture, that there will be people who literally sit in churches all of their lives, and they will walk up to the gate, and Jesus says, your access has been denied, sir. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know you. How was the usher, Jesus? <laughs> no fault on the ushers, right? I, was, I mean, Jesus, I, 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 I helped to count the money, Jesus. I don't, I don't know you. I don't know you. You did not do the will of my father. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter We all, uh, again, know this passage, or should know this passage. Uh, It is the 
what we call the Jesus is uh, here talking um, uh, talk about him judging the nations, right? And uh, he separates everyone into two groups. That's why this is called the, the parable of the sheep and the goats, right? Listen to what Jesus says in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why? Because you trusted me by faith? No. For because I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see, see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them and say, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, notice here in this passage of Scripture, I know that people will d debate and dispute about the interpretation of this um, based on their different eschatology, okay? However, I, th I believe that Jesus is very clear on when this takes place. I believe that this takes place at the end of the tribulation period and before the kingdom, the millennial kingdom is set up. Now, for seven years, right, Christians have been raptured off of the planet, and those people who have been left, right, they have a decision to make. Are they going to follow the Antichrist, or are they going to follow, follow Christ? Now, when Jesus returns at the end of the tribulation period, he is going to have this judgment. He's going to gather all nations to himself, and he is going to separate out those people who are his sheep, Right. From those who are goats, those who are unsaved. Right. Not of his flock. Now, he does not separate them and say, you didn't put your trust in me as savior. So you got to go to hell. He's going to say. How did you treat my people? Did. Did you feed them? Did you visit them when they were in prison? Did, did you clothe them when they were naked? And the, and the people that lived during that time period, right, 
the people who were the ones who helped the people who were trusting in Christ, those people will enter the kingdom of God. And the people who did not have good works, they turned their back on God's people. Those people will be sentenced to hell. Now, does it seem like salvation is by something other than faith? It's okay. It's, it, it seems like salvation is, is by something other than faith. And yet it's not. Because their good works towards the people of God is an indicator, it is proof of their orientation towards God. Their works prove what's going on in their hearts. Does everyone want to see that? Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, we all know this passage of scripture. We can just quote it. Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey. Oh, no, Pastor, we just, just teach me what the Bible says. <laughs> you can't tell me how to live my life. Well, actually, it says I'm supposed to teach you to obey. I'm, I'm, I'm not here just to give you information, right? I'm here to teach you how to live. And if I go to First and Second Timothy and Titus, and when you don't live that way, I'm here to confront you. Because if you have no desire to obey what God says, it might be, because you are not one of his children. Mark chapter 10. I'm almost done. I'm running out of time. Mark chapter 10. I want us to see again that your works, the good deeds that you do, they will not get you into heaven, but our good works are the proof that we are genuinely saved. Mark chapter 10. I'm going to go over my time today. It's all right. Y'all ain't got nowhere to go. It's not just like <laughs> This is the Lord's day. <laughs> this is not your day. This is the Lord's day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mark chapter 10. Verse 17. This passage of scripture um, stumps so many people. Listen to what Jesus says, verse 17, to the rich young ruler, Mark 10, 17. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, you would think that someone coming to Jesus and Jesus says, well, the person says, well, Jesus, what can I do to be saved? You would say, Jesus would probably say, you have to believe in me, right? And yet that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, verse 18, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. Jesus is setting him up, okay? You, you think I'm good because I live a certain kind of lifestyle, but you're not talking about me, you're talking about yourself. You think that you are good. 
because of your lifestyle. Jesus is setting him up. Verse 19, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Okay, so, so if you want to be saved, just follow the Ten Commandments. Now, what kind of sense does that make? Who would teach someone that? That's absurd. Well, in our minds, like, well, I, I, I can't follow the Ten Commandments, Jesus. We just, we just spent all of these, this pastor spent the first 20 minutes going over all these Bible verses saying that we can't follow the law. <laughs> and Jesus says, well, if you want to be saved, just keep all of the Ten Commandments. Okay. Now, to us, we would say, I can't do that. But to people who think that they are, to people who are self-righteous, they're like, oh, I could do that, Jesus. As a matter of fact, what does he say to Jesus? Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. I, I've been obeying all of the Ten Commandments since I was a little kid. I came out the womb doing the Ten Commandments, Jesus. I, I, what are you talking about, Jesus? I, I've been doing all of this. What, what else do I need? Okay. Now, Jesus is not teaching this man that he can be saved by following the law. Jesus is trying to do to this man what I said Paul is doing in Galatians chapter 3. He's trying to show him that God's standard is so high, you cannot keep it. When he says, don't commit adultery, like, well, I, I never slept with my neighbor's wife. Have you lusted after her? Because Jesus says in the Beatitudes that if you look at a woman and lust after her, you've already committed adultery with her. As a matter of fact, the reason that you acted out is because you've been playing it over in your mind too long. <laughs> and your actions follow your thinking. Don't commit murder. Oh, Lord, I've never, I've never killed anybody, Jesus. Hey, you got road rage? Do, do you, do, Jesus says, do you hate people? Because if you hate your brother, you've already committed murder. See, the reason that we can go and shoot somebody is because we have been running these these hate things, these hatred, this hatred over and over and over and over in our minds until we act it out. So if it's already in your heart, you've already broken those commandments. But this man believed that because he was able to do outward acts, he was good enough to get into heaven. Jesus says, I got a test for you, man. You say you've been keeping all of the Ten Commandments for all your life. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, verse 21, one thing you lack, here's the test. If you say that you've been following all of God's commandments all of your life, go your way, sell what you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come take up your cross and follow me. Now, there's a reason that this passage says that he was the rich young ruler, okay? He had, a, he had a lot of money. He believed that he was following all of God's commandments. And Jesus says, well, if you follow my commandments, sell, every, sell your possessions, give up your money, give it to the poor, 
And that's going to be proof that you love me. Now, what did the man do? <laughs> no, I'm not with that, Jesus. Uh, uh, no, you must be crazy. Oh, we got, I, I love the Lord. I, I, I'll do anything for Jesus. All right, well, we got some people that need to be missionaries. We're going to take up a missionary offering this Sunday. And, and, and so we can send people around the, God, around the world to preach the gospel. No, man, I got to make my car payment. Pastor always asking for money. Man, he must be wanting that money for himself. He, he, I mean. <laughs> and just, just excuses. But, I'll, Lord, I'll give you everything. All right, can you give me just 4%? I don't want 10%. Just give me 4%. Pastor, we can't be giving that kind of money to church. Pay ain't going to be living off my money. <laughs> I'm just having a conversation I'll be having with people. So, listen, your actions is the best indicator of what's going on in your heart. You can say you believe in Jesus, but your faith in Jesus is supposed to produce a life change. If your faith does not produce a change in your life, right? And I'm not talking about perfection. We're talking about over the course of your life. You know, your life should look like the, like the you know, the stock market, Right, right. It look like the stock market, you know, uh, an uptrend, not a downtrend. But um, we're not talking about perfection, but the course of your life should be looking more and more like Jesus every day. You have to do what Paul says in, in, in uh, Romans 13, 1 Corinthians 13. Examine yourself and see if you're truly in the faith. I want you to turn with me to, uh, let's skip through Romans. <laughs> Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6. Push my way through these and so I'm be done. Verse 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Again, Paul in these two passages, these two chapters, chapter 5 and chapter 6, Paul is addressing sexual immorality in the church. He also addresses whether or not we as Christians should sue each other. Okay. And he goes on to say that people who are not living up to the standard that God requires should be kicked out of church. Okay. Listen to what he says in verse 9. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Okay. Okay. The unrighteous, they will not go to heaven. They will not stand in God's presence. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, 
nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. You can't say that, Pastor. You don't know my heart. I'm justified by faith alone. That's what Paul said. If you are living in a lifestyle, and a lifestyle is I'm not repenting of it, I'm just going with it. This is who God made me to be. You know, I'm just going to run away with, you know, brother so-and-so wife, and we just going, you know, live the life. <laughs> you will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, and such were, past tense, and such were some of you. Some of you were fornicators. Some of you were idolaters. Some of you were adulterers. Some of you were homosexuals. Some of you were sodomites. Some of you were thieves. Some of you were covetous. Some of you were drunkards. Some of you were revelers. Some of you were extortioners. Such were some of you. That means that you were doing it, and at some point you recognized it was wrong, and you stopped. And he says that if you are, become a Christian and you rec don't recognize that it's wrong and you don't stop, you are not going to heaven. Now, I understand that's why churches like this stay small. Because <laughs> God wants you to live your best life now. <laughs> you know, God knows my heart. You're not going to make me feel bad, Pastor. <laughs> God does know your heart. And your heart has not been justified if there is no conviction to change. Such were some of you, but you were washed. He washed you from that. He cleansed you from that. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Your life should be changing. You may struggle, right? We're not talking about perfection. You may struggle with doing the right things, right? You may need accountability. You may, you may fall back sometimes into it. But the trajectory of your life should be to move away from the old sin in your life and to do what pleases God. If there is no change, no desire to repent, no desire to turn away from those sins, you are not saved. I don't care if you're on the usher board. I don't care if you're the pastor. It's a whole bunch of pastors that we look, you'd be like, you need to sit down. You don't know the Lord. I don't I don't, know, I don't know how you know the Lord and you got five kids out of wedlock and you just, pe people still like, yeah, preach, pastor, preach. No, shut up, pastor. <laughs> you, you, you need to stop having all these kids. Some ain't right. You need to, you need to know the Lord. <laughs> Galatians chapter five. I'm well over my time today. But hey, look. My job is to keep y'all out of hell. 
y'all might be thinking, oh man, he keeping me from Hibachi Grill. I'm keeping you from hell. <laughs> Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. He goes on to say, well, let me look, verse 1, start at verse 1. Stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made you free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, if you try to follow the law, right? Paul's writing this book to Christians that were under pressure by the Jews to convert into Judaism in order to become a Christian, right? If you follow the law, if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing, and I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law. If you try to do enough good works in order to be saved, you are separated from Christ, he says. You have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, right? But faith, doing what? Working, faith, working, faith, working, faith, working. Faith has to do something. Faith, working through love. He goes on to say in verse 16, he starts to talk about um, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Versus the lust of the flesh. So if your life is characterized by the first group, right, the works of the flesh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissension, heresy, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I told you beforehand, just as I told you in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? If your life is characterized by that list, he says you don't know him. If you know him, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? So if you know Jesus, you're going to be a very loving person, a joyous person, a peaceful person, patient person. That's something I struggle with. Oh, Lord, Lord, I might not know him. It's like, no. <laughs> kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. I just had to do it. Self-control, that's what the Holy Spirit gives you. Ephesians chapter 5. One book to your right. Ephesians 5. I'm almost done. Coming down to the end of these passages of Scripture. Ephesians 5. 1 through 8, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not even be named among you something that is fitting for saints. Neither, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting. What do y'all talk about at the water cooler at work? <laughs> okay. Which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. 
For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, no covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. That ain't true. God just God loves me for who I am. I'm just going to be who God created me to be. Let no one deceive you with these words. You, you, you can, I, can, I can love God and still live like this. That was somebody told me. I, I, you, I love God. You can't say because I'm struggling with this that I don't really love God. You struggle the, the same day every week, though. <laughs> I mean, it's a, you know, you, you, you struggle every Friday and Saturday. I mean, it's a routine. That's not a, that's not a struggle. That's a lifestyle. He says, don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, right, this li- these lifestyles, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. You know that God is going to punish people who live in these lifestyles. So don't live those lifestyles yourselves. Unless you want to be a part of the judgment. Philippians chapter 2. One book to your right. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. I don't have to do nothing. I'm just saved. I just pray to pray and I'm going to heaven. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. I'm almost done. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. I really should have started verse 10, but I'm going to throw in verse 5 through 10 for good measure. He's talking about the qualifications of a pastor. For this reason, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convict those who contradict. Verse 10. For there are many who are insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcisions, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not, for the sake of dishonest gain. Oh, God wants you to be blessed. And if you just sow into my ministry, (laughs) God is just going to bring a great blessing on you. Because I need this jet, because I got to go all around the world. And I'm going to stop in Dubai. 
for a little rest and recuperation <laughs> in the $25,000 a night suite. Okay. So, and so they, they teach all kinds of things for dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is, is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in their works, they deny him. They, pro, they profess to know God, but their lives are telling a different story. Don't believe what they say. Believe how they live, is what Paul is saying. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, he says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he gave himself for us, he went to the cross for us so that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Jesus died so that you can live a holy life and do good deeds. That's, that's the purpose of the cross. I'm going to heaven. I can do whatever I want now. No, you're not. You, you missed the whole point of the cross. <laughs> and the, the point of the cross is to get you into heaven, and on the way there, <laughs> you should live a good life and do good deeds. Hebrews chapter 12. Two more. We done. Hebrews 12. I hear your stomach's rumbling. <laughs> I'm just playing. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, verse 12, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You better, you, you better stop being in conflict with people. You, you better start. You better start. I know you watch the housewives of everything and they argue and say, so oh, I'm just like, now. yeah, you know, I girl. Right. Look, you better cut some of that stuff off <laughs> and stop acting like them people. You better pursue peace. And holiness, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright, for you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Now, what is um, the whole book of, uh, of Hebrews about? 
The whole book of Hebrews is about persecution is arising. Okay, so we talked about this last week. Okay. Persecution arises. Do I continue to follow Christ or do I just go back? I converted from Judaism to Christianity, and now I'm going to lose everything, my job, my house, everything. I mean, they, they might come and, and like, okay, take pictures all of them when they're going to church. We're going to get them. Do you continue to pursue Christ in light of trials of persecution? Or do you, I'm going to just be a, a Christian at home so nobody knows, so I don't get fired. So this, this, is the, this is the situation for those that, that the book of Hebrews is. Do I stand for Christ or do I turn away and go back so that I don't suffer persecution? Okay. Now, he brings up the example of Esau. Esau sold his birthright, right, for a bowl of soup. And then he's like, oh, man, I messed up. I want to repent and get right with God. He says, when he wanted to repent, he was rejected. He found no place for repentance. Sometimes we can live a lifestyle or do things in life or reject Jesus Christ, and, and then we're like, oh, you know what? I want to get myself right. And God said, nope. I'm not going to allow you to repent. Romans chapter 1, that some people, God turns them over to a reprobate mind. So they can be punished. You see, sometimes, right, I remember my, my teacher saying this. He's like, you know, sometimes people, that they live in that sin, and you know, oh, I know, First John 1, 9, if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins. How do you know that God is going to allow you to repent this time, though? How do you not know that God doesn't want you to be punished because you keep running headlong into your rebellion? See, you think you are in charge. God might not let you repent. He might move you just like, like Pharaoh. Oh, okay, let my people go. Mm-mm. Let my people go. Mm-mm. All right, I'm going to let them go. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're going to get this judgment. You're going to get this work. <laughs> Our actions tell God and man if we are truly saved. And sometimes we can press on in our sin so long that God takes his hands off. Mm. You, I'm not even going to allow you to repent. Last two passages. 1 Peter chapter 5, I'm, I'm, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, and then we'll let Jesus get the last word in Revelation chapter 22. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Let's start at verse 3 for continuity. I don't like this verse starting at who. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. 
who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuine of your genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what and for what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating that, the, that he testified beforehand su the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow." So again, he's talking here that for your faith, you will be persecuted. You will experience trials. And how you respond in those trials will indicate whether or not you are genuinely saved. We skip this in Romans chapter 8, but Paul says the same thing. He says that um, you will experience glory with him if you suffer with him. But if you turn your back on him, as Jesus says, those who are ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of them before my father. Last one, Revelation chapter 22, Jesus gets the last word. Revelation 22, last chapter of the entire book of the Bible. This is the longest message I've ever done in the upper room. It's after, it's after one o'clock. Verse six, chapter 22, verse six. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps my the, um, keeps the words of the prophecy of this book, okay? Blessed is the person who is obedient to what is written in this book, okay? Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, see that you not do that, for I am your fellow servant and your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to what? To give to everyone according to his faith, his work. <laughs> if you are unjust, keep living that way. You unholy, keep living that way. If you righteous, keep living that way. If you holy, keep living that way. Because I'm coming, and my reward is with me. 
and I'm going to reward every person according to their works. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life. Those who do his commandments are the ones who have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside, right, those who are not in heaven, right, outside the gates are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star, and the spirit and the bride say, come, and let who, him who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Now, I've taken, what, 90 minutes? <laughs> right. To show you two things in Scripture. Number one, that salvation is by faith alone. There is no amount of good deeds that you can do to get you yourself into heaven. You cannot work to get into heaven. You cannot work in order to be saved. You can only be saved by trusting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Now, when you have trusted in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, you cannot live the same lifestyle that you used to live. Your life must change. The evidence that you are truly a child of God is that your life will change won't change perfectly doesn't mean that you won't struggle bless you doesn't mean that you won't sometimes fall sometimes fall into sin sometimes you might fall into sin and lay there for a while <laughs> but remember what the proverb says a righteous man may fall seven times but he will get back up. You have to have good works to have the proof that you are genuinely saved. How we live our lives is the justification. So remember, the point of the, all of this, the reason that we're doing this is because we're going into James, and, and James says that you have to be justified by works. Your works is the evidence that you have truly come to know God, okay? And so he will go back and talk about Abraham, and we'll look at this because, because Paul says Abraham was not justified by his works. And then James says, yes, he was, <laughs> okay? And, but when you look at the examples, Paul and James are not talking about the same passage of Scripture, when Paul says that Abraham was justified, was not justified by works, he's quoting from Genesis chapter 15, where he says that he looked up the stars, he believed God, and it was accounted for him to, as righteousness. But James, when he says that Abraham was justified by works, he's quoting from Genesis chapter 22, 
where God says, take your son, your only son, and kill him. And because he got up and was obedient to God, of course we know God didn't let him kill him, he says that his works, him doing what God said, was his justification. That vindicated him that he truly was a believer. And what we have to realize is that there is so much false teaching, teaching people that all you have to do, all you have to do is pray this prayer. Pray this prayer, just pray this prayer. And you automatically go. And that's not true. Having a relationship with Jesus Christ must radically alter how you live your life. The things that we say, the things that we do, the places that we go, the lifestyles that we adopt, it must change who we are. And if there is no change, James is trying to teach us that there probably is no justification. You have not been saved. Now, um, it's funny that my explanation today is going to be longer than my sermon next week. But (laughs) um, I I, I want us to see this because I know that several of us are having conversations with people. um, And you, what do I say now, Pastor? Okay. Um, James is trying to teach us what real salvation is. Most of what we see today as Christianity is not Christianity. It's just, you know, the American dream, you know, on Sunday. (laughs) If you just have enough faith, God's just going to drop stuff on you. And and, and people are just like, well, I ain't got to listen to you. You know, if if it wasn't from God, would I be getting all of this stuff? And like, hey, you know, the devil has the ability to, to give you stuff too, right? <laughs> I mean, a BMW is not proof that you know Jesus. That's just proof that, you, you know, you have at least a, like a 70-50 credit score, you know? That's just, that's just, that's all it is. And I don't want anyone in here to be deceived. I want us to be absolutely clear on what salvation is. Because one day, we will all stand before him. And he will have a reward in his hand. And Jesus says, as Paul describes, that he will reward with blessings all those who love him. He will also reward those who hate him with indignation and eternal fire. Father, we thank you today for allowing us to come and to read your word and to hear your word. Lord, we thank you that you never tell us what we want to hear, but you tell us the truth. Lord, it is so easy to be deceived. 
Because in our generation, we are taught that however we feel, that is what is true. And our feelings are leading us astray, even leading us to false teachers who are just simply telling us what we want to hear so that they could personally financially gain. Help us, Lord, to read your word in the context of what you have said. Lord, each one of us, we know people who say that they know Christ, but as Paul told Titus, their lives denied the truth that they are claiming. Help us, Lord, to recognize the truth, but also help us to plead with them to examine themselves, to examine them, their self, to see if they are truly in the faith. Help us, Lord, not to look at the people that we know who are claiming to know you but are not living like it. Help us not to, to just look at them and keep silent. Help us to love them enough to confront them with the truth. Because if they're truly Christians, they are our brothers and sisters. And we should love them enough to snatch them from your judgment. Lord, we even pray for the people that we know that claim to be Christians but are not living that truth out because they may not be Christians. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be good with sharing the gospel and teaching the truth of the gospel about justification and sanctification. Help us to be good at, at living that out ourselves and teaching that to other people because we want to see as many of our family and friends and loved, workers, loved ones and co-workers, all of them, we want to see them in heaven. But Lord, we also, we also, each one of us, including myself, need to repent. Because there are times in each of our lives, Lord, where our lives do not match up with what we claim. And there's times in each of our lives where we teach the world that the church is a bunch of hypocrites. We name your name and say that we are saved and yet our lives don't match up, Lord. For that, Lord, we confess those things to you and we pray that you would help us to examine ourselves and to live out the life that glorifies and honors you so that when people see our good works, they will glorify our Father in heaven. We thank you now for your love, for your grace, and for your mercy. We thank you that you said that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And, and when we come to you and confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us, Lord, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you now for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.